Hi, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. This is Mariana. And Elizabeth. Hi. Hey. I missed you. I feel like it's been longer than two weeks. I know. Well, one mm, we missed one week. Yes, so it's been two right. weeks since yeah. we've talked. That's correct. I know. Okay, so I had grand plans, let me tell you, of having <laughs> a guest they? host because yeah. last week our kids got out of school and so – the older one was going to do a podcast with me and still might. She might be, a, she wants to be a guest on the show. That's awesome. To tell you about her summer reading. And we had grand plans, but we got a little distracted. Did you know? <laughs> I know. I know. Surprising for me, right? Getting distracted. <laughs> but let me tell you what we did. You'll like this. Yes. We wrote a musical. A musical? Yes, we did. A la. Frozen style or like some other? No, this is an original musical. Would you like to know the name of it? Yes. The Germ Play. The Germ Play? Yes. Because you guys think germs are cool? Well, because every kid needs to know how to avoid germs. I have a, I have a link I have to send you, but please keep telling me about this uh, germ. Would you, would you like to hear the second number? Yeah. Wash. Yes. Wash. Wash your hands. Wash. Wash. Wash your hands. Okay, would you like to hear the opening line of the dialogue? Yes. <coughs> hey, Janet, what's up? Give me a high five. <laughs> Ooh, gross. No, you just coughed in your hand. So what? So there are germs all over it? That's awesome. Doesn't this sound like a... Um, uh, written by someone who just finished second grade and is about to go to third grade? Yes. What her favorite line to utter in the whole germ play? Would you like to hear it? Yes. Uh, duh. <laughs> yes, that definitely. Com- that comes a little later. There is a That's point. That's very eloquent. <laughs> yes, there is a point that kid one goes off stage, and kid two says to the audience, "Without kid one on stage, she's got a lot to learn." So we were able to talk about asides and choruses and the role they play in musicals. <laughs> so it's so you nice. know what? I used to teach second and third grade, right? Mm-hmm. So we used to do these readers theaters all the time because it was a way for – I was working in high poverty schools, so it was a way to encourage repetition but also encourage reading with – expression and also encourage reading fluency because you're reading the same script over and over again building confidence is what we were Mm -hmm. trying to do and so we wrote a reader's theater to alexander and the terrible horrible no good very bad day nice have i told you this story before stop me if i have so our the one kid in my class who couldn't read his job was to be australia and so he was off by himself. Did I lose you? Oh, no. I'm here. There you are. Okay, so my... Okay, that was weird. A little jump. Can you hear me now? Now I can. Okay, well, we'll have to see if these <laughs> jumps keep working. That's strange. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with that. I don't know. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. Weird. So much depends on the (laughs) Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I had this one kid who couldn't read very well, and his job was to be um, Australia. So he had held up a sign, and every time in the script it said even in australia he said even in australia that was his only line repeating over and over again <laughs> so this is interesting i mean i think it's interesting because that's when, awesome yeah when i was doing reader theaters the two teachers who were on either side of me they said this is the way school used to be but they had kind of given it up They had stopped putting on plays. And I don't know about you, but growing up, I did plays all the time with my cousins. Of course, Mm -hmm. mostly they were not original plays. They um, were, you know, loosely based on Disney movies or different things like that. But this this was always part of our play, was to put on plays. And we would sell tickets to our parents and those kinds of things. Is this just me, or did you do this too? 
Um, not so much. A little, but like not so much. We did plays at school, and I really enjoyed. Like I was the giving tree in a play and stuff like that. But we didn't make up stuff really. I spent most of my time hiding in my room. <laughs> so you did the giving tree, like Shell Silverstein. Yeah, yeah. I was the voice of the tree. Wow, you were the main role. Yeah. Did sort you have of. okay? Tell me more. Did you have a tree costume, or were you off stage? No, I was off stage with a microphone, which nice. is the best role for somebody who's got stage fright. Right, and so you didn't necessarily have to memorize your lines; you could read them. Exactly. This is perfect. So you were kind of like my even in Australia kid. Yes, except a better reader. Well, probably because that's just the kind of reader I was. But I, but I do think that, you know, in the whole grand scheme of things, what parents and adults are saying about kids is that they aren't engaging in literacy in the same ways that we are. But what I found with our girls is that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our kids have devices and they spend time on devices, so their digital literacy is much better than mine was at their age. Mm-hmm. You know, I had instant messenger when I was like upper middle school towards high school. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I learned t- to type because I would type quickly because I wanted to get a message out. And I wanted to say, you know, I wanted to respond. And so I had that motivation besides just the keyboard class that had the little keyboard cover, you know, that you would peek under to get through the keyboard lessons. <laughs> Did you? Uh-huh. Class? So that's, you know, that's really where I learned to type. But our kids, uh, they already know so much more about digital literacy, as they should, because they're living in a different world than I lived in. Yeah. And so, so many parents and adults I hear are like, well, kids, they can't even interact. Like, they're just they're just on their devices. I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, because they have to. Do you understand what right. it's going to be like in 20 years for them? We weren't on devices because our world didn't include devices. If their world already includes the highest level of technology that we've seen at age 30 or 40, you know, they, they've got a lot <laughs> that they're going to have to learn. It's true. Well, and the thing is that we like, it's, you know, we're always on our devices too. Like we might point at the kids and say they, but it's us too, you know, Oh, exactly. And so it's learned behavior from us, too. You know, they're watching us. Even Ben already knows that this black box exists. And if he's Mm -hmm. trying to get my attention or Sam's attention, he literally knocks it on the ground if he can. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what the animals do, too. Yeah, that's true. Well, our animals just sit on them. But I guess that's the same. (laughs) This is the same idea, really. Well, and, like, when I point the camera at the dog, he gets up and walks away. He's like, screw you. Ain't gonna we will happen. talk when you have... Put that away. Put it away, and we're not doing that anymore. Oh. Yeah, so I think this is an interesting concept. You know, um, Sam just posted recently that we have some summer math going on with our kids on Khan Academy, and somebody posted, well, what about the reading? And he he responded, they're reading books? I, no, we don't have right. a reading program. They're reading books. That's what they're doing for their re- their summer reading. Yeah. Sheesh. But yeah, I hope that next time we can record and we can maybe have the eight-year-old on. She loves podcasting, so maybe that we can have awesome. her as a special guest. And we just started reading Harriet the Spy. Yeah. How fun. I never read that, but... Um, it seemed like it would be fun. She's very into spy stuff, so. Nice. It's interesting to me how our kids are interested in those older novels. Like Royal... Well, Royal Doll has a fantastical element to it, definitely. Yeah. But even Beverly Clary, who is, you know, realistic fiction, and it's this realistic fiction from 1980 or early 90s, they're still... I mean, she loves them. Yeah, but the I feel like the themes are kind of timeless and even like the the feelings of the characters are also timeless. So well, like 
Yeah. They might say things a little bit differently or do things a little bit differently, but kids okay. have stretchable imaginations. Right. Their moms might have chocolate chip cookies waiting for them after school. You know. Some moms still do. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right. Some moms still do. Or they have the nannies have the. There you, you go. Know. So either way, the chocolate chip cookies are there. So we just finished reading Muggy Maggie, which is mm-hmm. about a girl learning cursive. And this is our eight-year-old. She really has taken it upon herself to teach herself cursive. And so it was like, which, it was perfect for her. And I was like, gosh, Beverly Cleary is brilliant. She's just <laughs> brilliant. Well, does does she have to learn cursive or like she just wants to? Because I feel like cursive is going to go the way of the dodo pretty quick. I think it I think it will too. However, in some state standards, I know in South Carolina state standards, I'm not sure about North Carolina, it's third grade mm. standards that you have to learn it. So I had to teach cursive. Mm. And the writing test that the kids had to take had to be in cursive. I see. Do you remember the SAT that yes, you had I do. The, the paragraph that you had to write in cursive? No, I don't remember that. Oh, it was like That's a signature. part of the SAT. It was a Maybe signature that was... thing. It, I agree that everything here is my own. and But you, it had to all be in cursive, and then your signature had to be in cursive, oh. too. I don't know if I remember that. And it took I, it took me forever, longer than anything else. That's funny. I like cursive. I write in cursive a lot. Well, you have that artistic eye. I'm sure your cursive is beautiful. Do you know how long it took me to master the cursive letter F? Do you know that I had a sixth grade English teacher who on our spelling test, you would get your spelling test grade, but you would also get how everything had to be in cursive and you would have, you would get how many letters you had to write. And so you had to get your parents to sign your spelling test. And then on the back of your spelling test, if it said F, like for you, mine was always I, capital I's. Where would mm-hmm. you even have a capital I on a spelling test? I don't know. But I would have, like, it, she would put times 25 in uh-huh. her beautiful script. And on the back, you had to do it. <laughs> Terrible. Q's. I had to do lots of Q's. Yeah, Q. But that lowercase F was just. It's I really difficult. do it. So, yeah. So this is something our eight-year-old's kind of really into right now, which I think is pretty awesome. So we would, re- we read muggy maggie and it has print and then it has cursive too so i would read the print although she probably could have but we were reading it together and she would read the cursive and she was like i can read cursive and the (laughs) story's about maggie who's learning to read and write cursive Uh uh-huh so it's just you know those timeless books right well and she i mean picked up on that that thing that is universal for kids right right they still have to do that well, and there's still so one of the ways spoiler alert, although this book was published in wait here, I'll grab it right here. Right. You what? should have read it by now. If you haven't read it by now. Seriously. <laughs> this sat in my classroom for who knows how long and nobody ever read it and then nineteen ninety. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're we're clear on the spoiler Past alert. The statute of limitations on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the teachers start writing notes in cursive and sending her as the courier. And she just can't help it. She has to know what it says. <laughs> and so that's how she learns to read cursive. And I was I was telling our eight-year-old, I, I, I told her at first, I said, if you kind of turn your brain off and t- stop telling yourself that you can't read cursive, then you actually end up reading cursive. Uh-huh. You know, you, but you have to turn off that part of your brain that says, I can't read cursive. And just try it and see if you can make it out. And then, you know, I did the parenting thing later and I was like, oh, this is kind of a life lesson. If I stop telling myself I'm not a writer. Yes. And actually sit down and write. Then I can become a writer just like she can read cursive. Exactly. You have to turn off of that thinking part that prohibits us from trying new things or being who we're really supposed to be. Yes, it's very true. Speaking of which, did you see Elizabeth Gilbert's latest post? No. Which is her latest? Um, On I, which? I think it was on Facebook. Uh, here, I'm searching it. I don't it. know if I actually follow her on Facebook. Um, 
but she was saying that her the guy who she went to visit and stay with in India passed away. Mm. And she just wrote oh, the guy from Eat Pray Love. Yes. Mm. And she just wrote this beautiful description. Hold on, I found it. When you are searching for a path in your life and you see no options and you just want to die and nothing makes sense and you want to stab everyone at the office party and somebody throws a crazy idea in your face that makes even less sense than the abundant lack of sense your life already makes, do it. You have to do it. (laughs) You will know the call of your destiny because it will sound insane. Mm. I like that. So what do you think, think about that? Um, I think I need to uh, hurry up and get the revisions done on my book. That's what I think. So what have you been thinking about for the last two weeks? That's what. Okay, the call will not make sense. The call will not fit into what your culture and your history suggests that you are supposed to do. The call will cost you money and time in relationships. The call will not please your tribe. The call will ask you to do something you have no training in, no talent for, no safety net about. The call will want to make you wet your pants in fear. The call (laughs) will put all order into danger and disarray. The call will make you say, Why the hell did I leave my job and sell all my belongings and get on a plane and move to Indonesia? (laughs) Mm. Just because a possibly mentally unstable medicine man who doesn't even know my name told me to do that two years ago. (laughs) And she's talking about going back to see him. I thought it was a a beautiful tribute to him and the influence that he had on her life. But also this idea that she says, you know, do it. Do that crazy thing. Yep. Do it. And if you're scared of it, that probably means it's the right thing to do. Write a germ play with your eight-year-old. <laughs> Were you scared of that? I was not scared of that. She was a little scared no. of it. Well, I put a couple links in there um, from UC Davis because there's a professor that wrote a bunch of funny little songs. Um, I see that. This is awesome. About I microbes to show her. and food safety. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, funny. So one of them is part of the dialogue. In a really, like, geeky, weird way. I know, part of this food safety music is what it's called. You can find show notes at Thinking Out Loud, episode 115, over at thinking.fm. Thank you to, yes. thank you to thinking.fm for hosting us and doing our post-production. Yeah, we appreciate that. So one of the things... One of the parts of the dialogue is that kid one, kid one who just can't get it, oh my gosh, she has so much <laughs> to learn, comes back with a snack at some point. And then kid two, Miss Know-It-All, says, did you wash that? And kid <laughs> one says, no, why? And kid two says, think about how many hands have touched that. The farmers, the pickers, <laughs> the grocery store workers. And then she, kid one, promptly goes and washes it. Nice. Yeah, well, even when it says it's been triple washed, you should wash it. So That's right. That's what Noah always does. And our friends are like, man, you're crazy. And we're like, no, we are not getting E. coli. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, of course, you know, this is part of the play. And so we're getting dinner ready. She's like, did you wash that? Did you wash that? And I'm like... (laughs) Did I wash that? Yes, I washed this one. Did I wash this one? She's yeah. learned. Yeah. And, uh, that's that's fantastic. She's learned. And I thought. It's just what you want. Yeah. What else could you want in a reader's theater except an educational component? I mean, seriously, this kid is playing <laughs> to her audience of two former teachers. <laughs> it's awesome. So, okay. Long, long, long explanation as to why there was no show last week. And my distraction. So what were you doing? Well, you know. What were you doing <laughs> while I was writing a germ play? I, I was being sick most of the time. It oh. was actually pretty lame. So, um, yeah, I had, like, a really bad cold for a week, which I hate having colds in the summer. It's just not cool. Um, but in other news, I was also uh, figuring out 
stuff for like my book cover and bookmarks and um, getting stuff ready so that I could um, have it printed so I can go to this conference, Utopia, next week. Um, and I, in the process of that, working with my designer, um, we have the front cover done and she was like, okay, so on the back you want to put like information about yourself and about the book and things like that. And there's not a lot of room on a bookmark, right? It's just like very tiny amount of space. And so I looked at a bunch of other bookmarks that I had from um, past events that I've been to. And some people really try to cram like synopsis or like chapter, not chapters, but paragraphs from their book onto a bookmark. And it just felt like overkill. So then I was like, okay, so I need to distill the essence of my novel down into one sentence so that I can put that on the back of the book and something that will be like, this is what the novel is and it's inspiring and whatever. And so I spent a few hours like just kind of writing different things, trying to work my way there. And I came up with a, I am calling it a tagline for the novel. Um, And then like a little while later I was like, Hey, that's the theme of the novel. Holy cow. Oh my gosh. It's not just a cool thing to say to make people want to read it. It's like the theme of the entire book. And so then I was like, now I have to go back and re-revise stuff that I've already revised to make sure that it all like points at that because that's really what I want. And it was really exciting. So yeah. So that's what I've been doing. I got super excited because I was like, I found my one thing, the one thing my novel's about. Yay! (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. So are you going to share it with us or are you going to leave us hanging? Sure. No, yeah, I can tell you what it is. So like, and so this is the theme of my novel is it's not a sin to want to fly free. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. I'm so excited. Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) It's not a sin to want to fly free. It's not a sin to want to five. That is. That's what your writer. That that's. That's yep. yep. It, yep. It's funny because I said that to Leslie, and you know, I was like, "That's the theme," and she's like, "She's read the short story," and she's like, "Well, I could have told you that," and then she was like, "Well, but, probably I couldn't have told you told me like but, that." Yeah. <laughs> but once I said it, she's like, "That's yes. That's obviously, obviously the theme of your novel." I was like, "Ha! Huh, yay!" That's so. pretty awesome. Yeah. So now it's getting real. Yeah, it's getting real. It's coming together. And and I was just doing some work on it this afternoon after I um, dragged myself up out of my whole pit of imposter syndrome that I had today. Um, what? I, like, you just find your tagline. Why are you falling into the depths of imposter syndrome? Because the imposter always waits for you to have a really good moment to come Ooh. and like kick your feet out from under you. So, do you so, hear that, like, authors? Do you hear that? The author, I mean, wait. The imposter monster always waits. Yep. Yep. Always waits for you to have something really good happen. And then it's like, but I'm here and this is how it is. And so it was a really rough morning for me. And I like, I had some really good timed feedback from some clients. I was like, did you somehow know that I needed to hear this from you today? Because, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. And then, like, I have a friend of mine um, gave me some gave me some temporary tattoos that are super um, inspiring. And so I put one of those on today and was like, I am okay. And I'm just going to get up and I'm going to do the work. And so I spent the afternoon revising um and just kind of enjoying being in the text with my character so getting excited about it yeah so do you have when this imposter monster rears his or her ugly head do you have a set way that you fight that or combat it or recognize it you know I think some people who are especially new authors in my experience at least don't (laughs) understand that this is a very real thing some people call it writer's block and writer's block is something that's separate in some cases too but some people don't understand that this is part of the writing process it's gonna happen yeah it's that voice in your head that tells you you're not qualified to 
say anything. Usually, you know, it could be specific of you're not qualified to talk about, you know, whatever it is that you're writing about or that you do for your job or whatever. Um, but for me, it's just more general. My, my monster is like, you're not allowed to speak. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear anything you have to say. And so I just like, I, I usually I hear it and I'm like, that's the monster talking, but it still feels like really big and painful. Um, and I have to like, let myself feel that emotion and then, like, what I do immediately after that is I reach out to my people that are my encouragers. Um, and I knew I'd be talking to you later today, so I didn't reach out to you yet. But I, like, I sent a text to Leslie and told her what I was feeling, sent an email to my to Gabriella, and I was like, this is where I'm at right now, and got some, like, some encouragement from them because they know that I deal with the monsters anyway, so they could be like, hey – that's really just bad self-talk and it's not true. And and even if you do like fall down and fail at stuff, it doesn't mean you're a failure or a horrible bad person. It just means that you got to try something different. So. Well, yes. And I know some people have um, a collection, you know, a file on their computer or some kind of collection of notes that people have written to them that they go and they reread and they think yes. they – actually get it out get it out of their system in that way but i think that there you have to be able to identify this is not me this is the imposter monster so yeah. who helped you start seeing that do you remember uh, i think it was a combination it's a combination of things cuz i started going to therapy regularly like two and a half years ago and so like so my therapist really helps with that too. Um, a lot, a lot. And well, she's helped me a lot with the coping. Cause I think I was starting to be able to identify things before that, but there's this website that I used to read this blog. Um, and I'll find the link for it. Um, but she, um, she talked about the monsters, um, the fluent self, that's what it's called. And she, like, she would talk about the different monsters you have and she'd label them and talk about, like, the different, um, uh, like, different aspects of them that, like, help you to recognize what they say or, like, how they act when they approach. Um, and so then you can, like, personify them and so then when you hear this certain line of self-talk you can say oh wait a second that's this monster and it's just trying for sometimes it's you know she's like it's just trying to help you it's not actually trying to kill you um or like you know the thing that it's trying to protect you from is not actually that scary but it doesn't know that it's confused so you could like have compassion for yourself and for your monster in the process. So that was, yeah, that's where that came from. Yeah. And so I've, I've seen it manifest itself in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's an internal dialogue that you have with yourself that nobody else is involved in. And sometimes it goes back to what some people have actually said to you. Mm -hmm. So whether that's, you know, a teacher who told you you're a terrible writer or a terrible reader or, you know, those phrases somehow stick in our mind and replay at the most inopportune times and I think and I think Elizabeth Gilbert would say the same things this gets worse as you get closer to finding what you're really called to do yes definitely because well because there's a monster in there that is really scared that you're going to be hurt when you lose that thing that you really want to do because it's afraid that somebody will tell you you can't do it or that you shouldn't do it or that you're doing it wrong or that you're doing it badly because you want to be good at it. You want to be allowed to do it. You want to feel like safe in that space. And it's scary. It's not, it's not always safe. And there are people out there that are going to tell you no, but you have to like, you have to tell it that it's okay. It's okay if people tell you no, cause you can do it anyways. That's right. That's right. But you have to be able to recognize who is on your side and who's yes. on the monster side in some sense. So there are people yes. who are coming around you to help you with that and their feedback, especially, well, we consider this around writing, right? We can talk about right. the business 
a little bit later, but yes, in your writing, you have to get, put yourself in a situation where you're getting critique, but that critique is in order to make it better. And I think right. some people get caught up in the fact that any critique means that you're a failure of some sort. No, mm-hmm. critique makes things better. Like none of us, no author writes a perfect manuscript the first time they write. Right. Let me say that again, because I know there are a lot of writers out there who think you're writing beautiful writing and there are no mistakes in it. That's not true. It's not true. (laughs) Sorry. It's not true. Yeah. I don't care how many manuscripts you've written, how many books you've written. Everybody needs a writer, an editor. Everybody needs a critique group. Mm -hmm. Because you get so much in your head that you forget things and you leave huge things out. Or you have inconsistencies in your plot. Or halfway through your manuscript, you start calling one of your main characters by a different name than you started calling your character by. Because that's what happens when you're writing. That's why you need critique groups. That's why you need the people, just like you're talking about, the imposter monster fighters that are with you on your side. They're the ones that can give give you the truth and give it to you straight. And then you just have to remind yourself that, like... They're telling you the truth. They're not sugarcoating things for you. They're not They're not lying to make you feel better. And I think that's where you have to get into an intent. Their intent yes. is to make is to help you make your manuscript better. Yes. And their intent is to help you make your manuscript better in order to get it published and to share it with more people. Right. And I think some people get caught up on, oh my gosh, they just want me to fail. And probably because you've had people in your life who have said, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Well, have- and there are people that that might be invested in your failure because it, you know, gives them the chance to, like, be a bigger influence in your life. If you're failing, then you're easy to control. If you're not failing, if you're doing well, then, you know, like, then you're you're able to be more independent because, hey, you're doing well. There but, you go. So you have, people- to, you have to know who's who. Yes, and or people who have failed themselves and want to bring you down into their misery because their life hasn't panned out or they've never lived their dream. And you can do that. You can let them drag you down with them. But it sucks. Why would you do that? I mean, you can. You're going to feel miserable about yourself. You're going to be – look at every accomplishment that you have as something that's not good enough. You can live that way if you want to. Go for it. But it's not going to be a happy existence and you're constantly going to be disappointed true which is why we we made a vow not to do that that's right <laughs> we're and living that's, our lives and that's why we you know do this show really is to say yes yes let me tell you about some things i've messed up but let me tell you how i'm <laughs> going to make those things better and exactly the fact or that, let me tell you why messing up didn't kill me why you know, I well, yeah we're still practice. here 115 <laughs> exactly. episodes later we're still here <laughs> podcasting you yeah, know we are i, I recorded five shows before you and I got to know each other. (laughs) And since then, I think we've only taken a week break. A couple, yeah. Maybe two two weeks. I mean, because you were still going even while I was, you know, having a baby. Having a baby. Getting over having a baby. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's something that you have to remind yourself. If you keep at it, something's going to come of it. You can't keep at something that you feel and you you feel called to as Elizabeth Gilbert would say but also something that you see and you dream about and not have something come of it if you enlist people who are on your side and those people who are on your side are going to encourage you to push harder to make it better yes they're, they're not going to let you stay where you are no and you're nice they're under bugging you to finish your manuscript right or they're gonna text you and be like okay you gotta come out under your desk (laughs) because it's time to podcast i put a whole bunch of stuff under my desk so i can't get up there and get under there anymore look (laughs) at you see fighting the imposter monster (laughs) that's a good way to think of it yes how can i stop myself from getting into this thought process because our brains are padding pattern seeking yes Yes, yes. It's why we like stories that start once upon a time and end happily ever after. Yes. We seek patterns. So, okay, so tell us. You Do you have some good news? 
Um, Besides the fact that you have your author bookmark, that's pretty impressive. I have my bookmark. Um, I am going to Utopia next week, which I'm very, very excited about because last year at Utopia was when I got the fire lit under me and got down to the business of being a novelist, which I've always wanted to do. So, um, so I'm excited to go back and see the people that I knew then, um, that I know now, um, that are awesome and that, um, are encouraging and that are living their own dreams despite, you know, the naysayers that might be like, you know, being an indie author is, you know, a ridiculous pipe dream and you should never do it. It's just a waste of time. There's people out there that say that, and there's a monster in my head that says that too. But these people are like, no, it's not a waste of time, and it's all they've ever wanted, and they're making their dreams come true. And so they were super inspiring, and so I'm really excited to go back and see them again. And where are you going this year? Um, it's in Nashville still. Nashville. Same okay. place. Yeah. Okay, so listen. It is the same time as this conference I have to go to. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every year. I hear you. I hear your excuse. It's also a different, like, this conference that I'm going to is a different week, and this one is too. <laughs> it's not the second week of June. It's not the third week of June. No. Same thing. Yeah. Well, some some year you should go to Utopia because it's a class awesome. unto itself. Yes. I'm very excited. So, yeah. Well, so my other – oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I will be conferencing it up next week, too, in Greensboro. Okay. And we will have a book signing for Stacey Sargent, who's been a guest podcaster on this show. Yay. Go Stacey, go Stacey. (laughs) At a national conference, big going on. So I'll be selling books and saying, would you like to meet a real author? Because here she is. Nice. So both conferencing it up. Yeah. That's, it's that time of year. It's that time of year. So We're what doing else? That. Um, and then, you know, there's still stuff for DIY MFA that's going on. And then I'll be at that conference at Writer's Digest in August, which is super cool, too. Um, and then, but I've already bragged about that, so I'm not going to harp on that too much more. Um, um, yes, you are. But Every chance you get, you're going <laughs> to talk about how you're going to be. Go ahead. I'm going to speak with Gabriella about revising novels in front of. The Writer's Digest Conference, which is, like, crazy Huge. validation if I needed it. So, Huge. there it is. In um, where? In New York City. New York City, the head of publishing, the hub yeah. of publishing. Look, yeah. look, I just went to their website and look at all these people who are going to be <laughs> listening to you. Yeah, there's a lot of people. It's going to be kind of awesome. So. And you're presenting a breakout session. Um, I'm helping with some breakouts. But I don't remember. Yeah, I think that's what that is. Yeah, it's a breakout. Anyways, yes. So, and then I'll be there to, like, help Gabriella um, with all of her other stuff. There's, like, she's doing this thing that's called DIY MFA Insiders. And so if you're going to the conference, you can, like, add on this extra package to your conference itinerary. Um, And there's, like, a cocktail hour with agents and editors, for everybody ah. an insider. So I'm helping her coordinate that and then gonna be there to just kinda like hang out with agents and authors and editors and hand out my card to everybody. Um and yeah, so that's kind of exciting too. Yeah. <laughs> so then the other big news that I have is that um and this is like so far away, but it's not that far away either. Um, November is NaNoWriMo. Um, if you don't know what NaNoWriMo is, people, you've not been listening to this podcast very long because I'm always talking about it. Um, it's National Novel Writing Month, the month of November. You write 50,000 words. Um, and I'm a municipal liaison in ML for um, for our region. It's the Yolo County region. Um, and so last year was my first year doing it and I love it because the community part of NaNo is my favorite thing. Obviously it's my selfish desire to meet more writers, make writer friends and then make them write with me. Um, (laughs) so, and so I've been, you know, keeping that up over the course of, um, the year as well. Like once a month I host an event at a different venue and we like 
sit together and write and drink coffee and stuff like that. Um, but anyways, this last year they it was the first year that they did a seminar course at UC Davis for people who wanted to participate in nano. Um, and so students could sign up and like take this fall semester or quarter fall quarter course, um, that kind of, um, it overlaps nano because the quarter starts before and ends after November. Um, but so then the students come and they learn about like different plotting and, um, writing techniques and then they participate in nano and have their word counts and that's how they pass the classes by getting 50,000 words together. Whoa, um, that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it's fun and it's cool and, you know, it's, it's optional. It's an elective course. It's not like required for anything. Um, so they had a cool group last year and it's led by, um, the professor that leads it is actually, uh, he's a biologist. Um, he's not an English professor, which I think is kind of cool, but he, and he writes science fiction. Um, and so he came to a bunch of the write-ins that we had last year. And so then this year they're going to do the course again. He messaged me to let me know that he had just signed up to, um, to lead the course again, to teach it. And he asked me if I'd come be a guest lecturer and talk about nano. And so I'm like going to be a guest lecturer at UC Davis this fall. <laughs> Which is just kind of like blowing my mind. But um, I'm like, well, yes, of course I am. Because like, that's all things that I'm into, you know, like it's the writing, it's the editing, it's the motivating yourself to get up and get your words done. Um, and it's the here's the nano community. And let's talk about how cool and awesome that is. So I don't know if I'm doing going to do just one class for him or more than one class, but I'm pretty excited about that. So. Yeah, and saying, hey, there's there's this group that exists here. Yeah, yeah, for students. And, you know, students come and they go. They're not, like, consistent usually um, in Davis. But, you know, at least to give them the, like, encouragement that they need while they're here. So, yeah. Woot, woot. So my, my life, my imposter monster has nothing to complain about. But like I said before, that's when he complains the loudest is because he's like, people are going to find out that you're a fraud and you have no idea what you're talking about and you shouldn't even be here. Well, if they find out that you have no idea what you're talking about, then you'll learn and you'll read and you'll research and then you'll know what you're talking about. Right. And that's what I keep telling myself. I'm like, I've been scraping together knowledge for years now. I think I know a thing or two. But it's not always easy to tell yourself that. No, it's not. It really isn't. And it really is. You know, everybody says that running is a mental game. Writing Mm -hmm. is a mental game, too. So, uh, update. I'm now one-eighth of the way through with the ghostwriting project. Nice. Which doesn't seem significant, but I've hit 10,000 words, which is significant, I think, when you hit double digits. Yes, it definitely is. So, and then on my own manuscript, I'm now halfway through. Yay! 42,000 words. (laughs) That's awesome. How excited are you? Yeah, I'm very excited, you know. I this has been a little more systematic process and I had this moment just like you were talking about where I was like, "Oh, this is what the book is about." And that moment that right uh that writer, no. Writer, yes, Elizabeth Gilbert <laughs> talks about uh-huh where if you're stuck, perhaps you're not writing about the very thing that you really should be writing about and you're really right. avoiding the thing that you should be writing about. So I had that moment too and then I realized, "Okay, I've got to include all of this stuff that I was trying not to include." but only had a third of a book when I didn't include it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now working my way back through, I have all these scenes to add back into the manuscript, but I've got to figure out where they go because I left them out earlier because <laughs> I didn't want to write about them. Isn't that terrible? Well, it's terrible, but it's not. I mean, but because that's how that's how I work anyways, is I write about the things that I want to write about until – I get to the point where I have to write about the other stuff. So, like, I think it was just a couple weeks ago that I realized that I really do need to add um, the father's perspective in mm-hmm. here. So there's going to have to be at least a couple of chapters that have, like, his his perspective more laid out so that you're not just thinking he's this evil, heartless person 
because he's definitely got issues. Um, but he also has his own agenda and it needs to be like clear so that you can be at least moderately sympathetic to that. Right. So the readers have to know his backstory too. And this is, I've worked with a a lot of writers recently and I've told them I have, the reader has to know this person's backstory. Even if, if this person is going to play this prominently in your manuscript, we got to know the backstory. Right. Or at least a part of the but you don't have to tell the whole thing, but give us one episode, one scene, one interaction, something, a flashback of some sort that tells the reader why this person is behaving in this way. Exactly. And I think that this is something that we forget as human beings too when we're interacting, even when we're interacting with the imposter monster, mm-hmm. is that the even the imposter monster has a backstory. Right. Right. So that got established somehow in somewhere. Tag hears me. Yes, he does. It got established somewhere and somehow. And so you have to sometimes cut the imposter monster off at the legs by saying, I know where you came from. Right. But you know what? I'm not there anymore. I don't live there anymore. Exactly. I've That's grown. good. That's good medicine, Mariana. Good medicine. That is. <laughs> Well, I think if that's good medicine and that's a good word, I think we should just, like, you know, wrap it up. I think so, Ooh. too. <laughs> so tell me, what are you reading? Um, so uh, right now I am reading I'm reading Steal the Sky by Megan O'Keefe, still kind of slowly, but um, enjoying it when I get to it. And then I'm also reading the DIY MFA book, the advanced reader copy, um, although technically it's could be out in stores now. You just can't order it on Amazon yet. Or you can pre-order it, but you can't uh, get it until... It won't ship until July 8th. So, Okay, so... I don't know how we've kind of avoided this in the whole time that we've um, taped 115 episodes, but I think Gabriella should come on our show. Oh, totally. That is a <laughs> how have we not idea. even done this before? <laughs> I don't know. She does her um her well her episodes are kind of similar to ours. She I mean in that she interviews people um and it's a conversation really, but she has like Right, right, but she's the interviewer. We want to be her to be the interviewee. Yeah. Yeah. We should totally have her on. I'll ask her about that next time I talk to her. Woo. And please apologize for the things for the the fact that it's taking us Well, well, wait a second. Now. The whole 115 episodes, you weren't podcasting with her. So I feel like <laughs> we have a little bit of, don't we? Don't we have a little bit of wiggle room? Hey, I don't think that she's offended by that. Um, I think she'd be excited to be on the show. So Yes. Okay, so this summer, we're going to try to get some interviews on the show. We'll have Gabriella, and then we'll have our eight-year-old. Yay. Which probably means we'll have our six-year-old, too. So that'll be <laughs> interesting. But perhaps they can just pop in and tell us about their summer reading. Yes. And tell us what they're reading and and how they view the reading world. You know, we were talking about this a little bit before about how they see reading. And it, it's different. It's different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, us old fogies, we've got to listen to the younger folk. Yes, we do. <laughs> so I'm reading Gone Girl. Oh, you are. Have you read it? Yes, I have. What do you what? think of Gone Girl? Why are you laughing? Because that book stressed me out so badly. This is I can't what even my tell friend you. has said too. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I so shouldn't have read this. <laughs> By the end of that book, I was like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. She's like, so. have you gotten past part one? I was like, there's, there's like a part one? I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. So let me just ask you this question, and no spoilers, because I have there's a movie too, right? Yes, but I haven't seen the movie uh, nor because I. I was way too traumatized by the book. Oh my gosh! Okay, so should I not read it at night? Um, so it's not like that. It's, it's in not, a different it's, way. It's yeah, like in a beautiful mind way. Uh, did I even see a beautiful mind? You know, it's a movie. That's a good thing. Yeah. See, this is why I went to young adult novels. The one and only Ivan was wonderful. Newbery Award winner. I will really enjoy hearing what you have to say about it when you finish it. 
Um, so it was finally available at the library. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I've been looking for it at the five ninety eight table at Barnes Noble. But yeah, I'm surprised it's not there either. But right, it's not there because the movie came out. That's why I'm sure. I guess I forget. I think somebody gave it to me as a Christmas present. Yeah. Well, and you know me, I don't like to be on the edge of popular reading. I yeah. Like to be on the tail end. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that book stressed me out. So good luck with that. <laughs> Thanks. I think I'll go read it now. Yee. Wee. Okay, so it's not like give you bad dreams. No. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, unless that sort of thing gives you bad dreams, but it's not I don't like, know what that sort of thing is. But well, okay, I don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Be, don't tell me. Yeah. yeah I don't I, like I can't be too specific. Because I don't want to destroy it for you. But yes, I've been getting up earlier and earlier to read in the morning with my coffee. Well, that's good. Your it schedule is. is coming back. But I should be writing. That's what I should be doing. That's why I get up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I'll just read a couple of chapters while I drink my coffee. <laughs> and I'm, I make my sips smaller and smaller so the cup of coffee lasts longer and longer. Nice. And I can read more and more. Don't lie. You've done this too. I, yes, but I usually read at night. So I know you're not a big fan of the Twilight series, but when I was teaching fifth grade, I read the Twilight series, partly because I wanted to encourage them to read, and I knew some of them were reading it, but uh, partly because I I liked them. I'm sorry I did. I just did. (laughs) Scoff, scoff, scoff. (laughs) Say what you will. We don't have to like the same reading. No, we don't. Anyways, so I told them at one point that I was almost late to work because I was reading. And they they loved it. They yeah. loved it. They ate it up. They were like, we're going to tell. I can't even remember who my principal or headmaster <laughs> or middle school head or whatever it was at that point. We're going to tell such and such that you were almost late because you were reading. I was like, oh, please don't. Please don't. And, of course, they <laughs> did. And I was like, this is beautiful. See? This is beautiful. Nice. Just like a germ play. Just like a germ play. Whatever gets them excited about it, right? Whatever gets them excited about reading and writing, I'm in. Exactly. And that's what we're doing. You know, as we're writing, as we're publishing, as we're editing, the things we do, that's why we're doing it. Yes. To keep this literacy thing alive. Right? Yep. Okay, so next week, neither of us will be here. Nope. So maybe we can try to do a double show week, Monday, Friday, or something like that. That sounds good to me. So look forward to it. I'm sorry, listeners, that I um, got distracted by writing a germ play, but perhaps we can post a video or something. I hope hope you can. Or or a transcript or something. Something. I would love to see it. We'll work on it. And so next week... We maybe we'll have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old on our show. I'll give you a heads up. Yeah, let me know. But until then, keep reading. And keep writing. And keep thinking. Bye. Bye.